and your family have a very safe, healthy, and merry Christmas. Uh, and we're looking forward to gathering together again tonight for our uh, Christmas candlelight service. And uh, hopefully you'll make plans to be with us uh, tonight. Begins at 6 o'clock. Our entire church family will worship together uh, as, a, uh, as a family. All of the kids will be in here. So we'll be in and out in just under an hour. And uh, maybe uh, you might hear a, a kid talking to, uh, once or twice. You might hear some noise. There's going to be lots of singing, lots of scripture reading, and looking at the under the true meaning of Christmas and ending uh, holding candles and singing uh, Christmas carols tonight. Hope you'll make plans to be here. Uh, cookies, hot cocoa and coffee, uh, photo booths, all the things uh, that you want to experience as a church family. And we'll look forward to gathering uh, today at 6 uh, p.m. Isaiah chapter 9. Names and descriptions tell us a, a lot about a particular individual. When you think about, you know, sometimes you get, you, you'll read a name of something, you think you understand what it's all about, and you, you feel like you've been duped when you find out. There's a restaurant my wife and I like to eat at up in the mountains, and it's called the Red Dog Bistro, and uh, the, the, the food is absolutely amazing, but the sign is, is red, and it has a cat on the side. And I see every time I've been there, I'm thinking, who in the world came up with this concept? So one day I asked somebody, I said, please, for the love of God, tell me what the story is of the cat on the sign of the Red Dog Bistro. And they said, yeah, the night before, uh, the, the, the owner of the restaurant uh, named, uh, put the name on the restaurant. She had already planned to call it Red Dog. And she, that night, in her dream, she saw a cat. And so she named the, the restaurant not the Red Cat Bistro, but the Red Dog Bistro, and puts a cat on the sign. And you look at it, and every time I see that, I'm thinking to myself, something is wrong here. Something is, is out of place. Most parents put a lot of time into naming our children. And you come up with a certain name, and it has a certain connotation or meaning. Maybe it's a family name. Maybe it's a, you know, it's a name that goes back and, and, and has a lot of significant meaning. Growing up in a family that had three kids, uh, you're used to hearing your name called. And uh, if the middle name was inserted, we knew we were in trouble. Anybody else have that same uh, family upbringing? But you had that feeling. And occasionally my dad would get me and my younger sister, I don't know if it was because we were in trouble more or I don't know, but he would mix our names together. And her name was Debbie. Uh, my name's David. And he would say, Davy. And Davy meant David or Debbie or both of us. And we knew when he called Davy, I mean, we better jump into action pretty quick. Uh, I have uh, four kids of my own, and we did a, something, you know, when you're thinking about naming your kids, you're not always thinking of the long term. What's it going to be like if we add multiple kids to this mix? And, and so our oldest is Savannah, and we had gone to Savannah uh, as part of our honeymoon, loved it as a beautiful southern city. Uh, and then we uh, decided to jump into Bible names, and so we named our second Micah, and then we have uh, Sarah, and then we have Malachi, so we have three with Bible names, and our oldest daughter's going, wait, how did I get left out of the Bible, and how did I get mixed up in this whole thing? But our boys have M names, our girls have S names, and before God and everybody, I'm confessing this morning that every night when I pray with the kids in their bed, sometimes I'll, I'll kneel beside their bed and I'll pray with them, and I will forever call Micah Malachi and pray with Micah and call him Malachi. And he's like, really, Dad? Seriously? You know, and I'll call Savannah Sarah or Sarah Savannah, and 
I'll get them mixed up, and it's just kind of how it goes. I remember when Savannah was starting kindergarten, her teacher was doing kind of like an entrance test of, you know, what the kids knew from uh, preschool, and she said, you know what, parents need to think, can my child spell this name by the time they go to kindergarten? They're writing their, their name on every piece of paper, and can they write Savannah? You know, it sounds beautiful as, as a newborn, but... In the Old Testament, names had certain meanings. They stood for a person's reputation, their fame, their glory. And the word translated name literally means a mark or a brand. You think of all of the things of Coca-Cola. Everyone around the world knows what that means when you say Coca-Cola. There's certain names. Parents give their names to describe their hopes, their expectations for their child. If you look at a study of Bible names you'll see that it reveals much about the personality of a person that bears that name. The name David, who grew up as a young shepherd boy and ultimately became the king of Israel. His name means beloved of God. Abraham was mean, a father of a multitude or father of nations. Jacob uh, grew up and his name means, means deceiver. Isaac means laughter. If you remember, Sarah begins to laugh as she finds out she's going to be giving birth to a child at 90 years old. Moses means drawn out. Jesus means Jehovah saves. So all of these names uh, proved, uh, their, their names proved to be prophetic in, in how they would be called. Today as we continue our series, He Has Come For Us, we're looking at four names that are given over 700 years before Jesus would be born as a baby. These four names are, are, are beautiful, but we're going to see that he's indescribably unique. God has given him a name above all names, the matchless name of, of Jesus. And we're going to see that Isaiah's primary promise was to remind people, uh, the readers, of the special relationship that they have between God and, and the covenant that he would send in sending his son Jesus to be our Savior. The nation of Israel had experienced great times of, of trial and turmoil. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It was as Jesus came to take them from gloom to gladness and uh, from darkness into his, his glorious light. We're seeing all of this unfold in, in the story of Isaiah. If you're turning your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, the original birth announcement was made in the time of great grief. Uh, you can imagine what was going on. Zebulun and Naphtali, tribes from the north of Israel, were facing uh, a, a total uh, destruction. And, uh, and we see all, as God begins to bring light into a dark world, we begin to see the story of the coming Christ child. Verse 2 describes how the birth of Christ would bring light or brightness into a world of darkness and despair. The people who walked in darkness would see a great light. Jesus would come as the light of the world. And when people are in darkness, what happens is you're stumbling about trying to figure out how to make it to that next location. How do I get across the stage when everything's dark? You can imagine today if, if someone in the back, and they'll probably play tricks on me at times, you know, kill the lights and I've got to get across the stage. I'm going to probably hit a, a piano or a guitar or the stable, the, 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 the manger with the Christ child in it. You see, all of these things, we need light to get through the darkness. Story, someone might not be able to often see it, 
But even as a child of God, the Word of God says we have an, an aroma of Christ, the very fragrance of Christ, and we ought to be giving off that, that the, 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 the smell of, of Christ, the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. Folks, what happens is as Christ is being manifested in our life, He's called us to be that city on a hill that points others towards faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 4, we, talk, we read about the enemies of Israel and how they were burdened. They burdened the people with the yoke of his burden. But in G, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus comes to give light in the darkness. So I invite you to, to look at our text this morning in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. It says, for unto us a child is born. Son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts these next few moments? I pray, Father, as we look at your word on this Christmas Sunday, God, that we would understand that you came as a wonderful counselor, as a mighty God, an everlasting Father, you came as the Prince of Peace. God, would you give us encouragement through your word this morning? Those who may be here today or are tuning in online that don't have a personal relationship with you, Father, I pray that this morning would be that moment that they understand the truth of why you came at Christmas time many years ago, why you came and the purpose for dying on the cross and and how you desire to have that personal, intimate relationship with each one of us as your children. God, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Hope has a name. Hope has, has a purpose for coming to earth. God, would you speak to hearts and transform lives by the gospel of Jesus Christ? For those of us who know Christ as our Savior, Lord, may we take time this Christmas season to focus on why you came. And, and the reason that you've left us here, our purpose here in this life is to bring forth the, the word of the gospel to those who do not know Christ and to make known your deeds amongst the people. God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts this morning. Radically transform lives. We'll be careful to praise you. And all of God's people said, amen. Hope has a name. Hope has a purpose. Jesus Christ came as a tiny baby 2,000 years ago so that you and I might have a relationship with God the Father. We see here the indescribable uniqueness of Jesus, the core truth of Christianity in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. As he comes to earth as a tiny baby, he says, for to us a child is born. This description describes his birth as a baby. In other words, it shows the humanity of God as he comes to earth in the form of a tiny baby. But then it goes on and says, to us a son is given. Jesus is God's son given as a gift. So we see his humility as deity. So Christ does not only leave the, the glory of heaven, but he comes as a tiny baby and is offering us a right relationship with God the Father. He makes us it possible for us to be made righteous before God. I, I appreciate the insight of one commentator. He says, this commentator, he says, the son wasn't born. The son eternally existence existed. He says, but the child was born. The son was given. God has always existed. And in fact, there's not been a time that he did not exist. 
But it ultimately says the child was born, the son is ultimately given. And folks, on top of all that, it says the government shall be upon his shoulder. The baby that's bundled over there in the straw in a manger holds the entire universe together. It's hard to imagine the one nestled on Mary's shoulders would bear the weight of the sin on his own shoulders as he would die on the cross uh, 33 and a half years later. He's a redeemer. He is the ruler of all. And part of the reason, folks, that we, we have been inoculated by the incarnation and sometimes can get bored looking at the manger scene is we see Christ as we just see him as that tiny baby in the manger. But, folks, he didn't stay like that. He ultimately came that he might die on the cross. And it, it, we focus so much on the, on the baby and the nativity scene that we fail to see that he would ultimately die on the cross for our sin. The phrase is, his name shall be called, means he will justly bear this name. Technically, all four of these are descriptions that make up his name. And it's not just in a singular form. It's, just, it's, it's not in a, a plural form. It's, just, it's a singular form. It says, his name shall be wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And it's in the same singular form as the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes we call it the fruits of the Spirit. But it's called the fruit of the Spirit because we're to have all of these. As, as we're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, we begin to take on the different fruit of the Spirit. And we exemplify who Christ is in human form. And folks, it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ, it's not one it's all. We don't just pick and choose off of a menu like we're at the, the dollar menu at McDonald's and you're coming through with your minivan full of uh, screaming children and you're saying, I would like one of these and one of these and one of these. No, it, it's ultimately, he's all of these things and so much more. So as we think about the, the words, uh, it may make you want to break out into in song if you think of uh, Handel's Messiah. But uh, it looks like he speaks to us as a wonderful counselor. Jesus Christ came to earth as a wonderful counselor. It literally means a wonder of a counselor. The word wonderful means full of wonder, glorious, exceptional. In Judges chapter 13, he says, the angel of the Lord says, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? He says in Isaiah 29, he says, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder. Psalm 77, verse 14, the psalmist writes, he says, You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. So the adjective wonderful is coupled with the word counselor. He says, he's a wonderful counselor. And the word counselor refers to an advisor or a consultant. And, you know, life is filled with decisions. It's filled with details. It's, it's filled with all of these things that we're trying to figure out as we maneuver through this race called life. And Psalm 16, verse 7 says, I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. What's he saying? He says, ultimately, he's wanting us to understand Jesus is our wonderful counselor. When you don't know what the answer is, we can go to God in his word and find counsel. We can find wisdom. We can find direction. We know his word speaks to truth and to the very uh, core of what we're facing as a people. What are some elements that make someone a good counselor? When you think of getting 
counseling or help? What's, what's some of the things? When we're in need, we want someone who's available. We want someone who gives our, their undivided attention. We want someone who listens well, someone who's able to comfort while remaining confidential. He, and he wants us to give, we want people that gives us truth for ourselves. And, and it also helps us know the, the changes that need to take place in our lives. You see, when we come to church, we want to hear the word of God preached. Why? Because we want it to speak truth into our lives so that we know how to live better as a follower of Jesus Christ as we leave the doors today. I want you to leave today better equipped to follow Jesus Christ than you did when you came in. I want you to have an encouragement about how to go through life. So he says, he's our wonderful counselor. And, and folks, uh, how, keep in mind as a wonderful counselor, Christ is not just there to make suggestions about our life. Tim Keller gives a description in his book, Hidden Christmas. He says, when you come to Christ, you must drop your conditions. He says, you have to give up the right to say, I will obey, what's that word say? If, like five of us said it this morning. He says, you have to give up the right to say, I will obey if. If I will do this if. Because as soon as you say that, I will obey you if, it's no longer obedience at all. You see, sometimes we like we want to bargain with God. We want to barter with God. If you will just heal me, I will do X, Y, Z. I remember years ago, a, a lady in our church was in an accident with her children, and one of her children was on his deathbed, and she said, God, if you'll raise my child up and spare his life, I will never miss another service in the house of God. Well, God did raise up her child. I've seen her in church once. God doesn't barter. He's not there for us to bargain with. When he tells us something, folks, we are to follow it. And for the rest of our days, he's there to transform our lives. He's not just there for us to say, well, if you'll do this, I'll do this. Uh, if you'll answer this prayer, God, if you'll send me that, that beautiful lady to marry one day, or that, that gorgeous hunk of a husband, I, you know, everything will be perfect. If you'll just give me a child, if you'll just help me to get this job, if you'll just, I will do. Do we see how it works? Sometimes we try to bargain with God, but what he's saying is he's our wonderful counselor. He's looking for obedience in our lives. And folks, I wonder this morning, is Jesus your wonderful counselor? Are you willing to follow him without making conditions, without making it about you and making the terms? He also stands for us as mighty God. The word mighty means strong one or the powerful, valiant warrior. In Isaiah chapter 9, the adjective mighty literally means the God hero. Jesus is the hero of scripture. We talked about superheroes a few weeks ago at the end of October, but ultimately Jesus came as the ultimate superhero. Psalm 22 verse 8 says, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. He is profound in his counsel, folks. He has the power to accomplish what he wills. And this facet of his name tells not only is he the son of God, he's also God the son. The baby born in, in a tiny feeding trough is also the king of glory. And, and to say it another way, the humble carpenter of Nazareth 
is also the mighty architect of the universe. Think about it for just a moment. Jesus, who created the entire world and everything in it, he is our mighty God. He is everlasting Father. He's Prince of Peace. He's all of these things. This facet of his name, though, shows us the King of Glory. Jesus can manage anything because he is mighty. He is all-powerful. He healed the lame, the blind, the sick. He raised the dead, all of these things. And, and I love the fact he'll give us victory over whatever we're struggling with today. doesn't matter what your face is. And Pastor David, 2021 has been a horrific year. It has for many of us. But folks, the reality is, is God's power is greater than the struggle and the circumstances that we're facing today. Nothing that we face this morning is too difficult for him. Let him fight our battles. Let's honor him as our holy hero. Worship him as our warrior and praise him for his power. Remember the words spoken of by the angel to the, to the Virgin Mary. She said, he said in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that? Look at the words. Nothing will be impossible with God. How often in this life do we get so bogged down? Maybe it's a situation at work and we're, we don't see a way out. And we think there's no possible way we're going to get past this huge mountain in front of us. With God, nothing is impossible. Maybe you're sitting there looking in your marriage and you're thinking, there's no way we're going to come out of this and still be together. With God, nothing is impossible. Maybe you look at hurdles and challenges financially or, or career-wise, and you're thinking there's no way possible. Since there's nothing that's impossible with God. Many things are impossible for us, but nothing's impossible with God. And after the last couple of years and what many people have experienced it's good to reflect on the fact that there's nothing impossible with our God. He knows. He cares. And folks, he has the, the greatest needs of our heart close to his heart. Ray Pritchard writes it this way. He says, as the wonderful counselor, he makes the plans. And as the mighty God, he makes the plans work. I love that because God orchestrated all of the details of history. But folks, he makes the plans work. I wonder this morning, are you trusting in your own strength? Are you ready to make him your mighty God? We also see, thirdly, he, he sits near us as the everlasting father. How did you view God as a child? Sometimes as a child, it's hard to wrap our minds around, even as an adult. Let me just, let's be real. It's, it's hard to wrap our minds around how big God is and the fact that he's always existed. And sometimes you're trying to make sense of, of, of who God is. And I remember learning words as a child uh, growing up in a pastor's home as a PK. I mean, you learn all these big words, you know, and predestination. You, you know, you learn all of these words and you're thinking to yourself, you know, what exactly do these words mean? And omniscience and omnipresent and you know, omnipotent. You're learning all these words and you're thinking to yourself, what exactly do all these words mean? They're, they're big, they're huge, but, you know, what, what do these words mean? And he's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's always present. And I remember 
having a sense of awe of God and who he was and his power. But folks, I didn't fully understand the relationship part of knowing God. As a child, when you see your dad's a pastor and you're at church, I mean, I was at church for nine months before I was born. I mean, that's what you do. I mean, you don't miss I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every revival service, every Bible study, whatever, you were there. I was usually setting up chairs and moving hymnals. And, and it was part of, you know, setting up communion. And the best part of being a pastor's kid was playing in the baptistry after baptisms were over. And it was still heated. And it was like a giant hot tub because you were never going to be able to afford to have a hot tub at your house. But, you know, we'll enjoy this big old hot tub eating the leftover communion. You're saying, I can't believe you're admitting to that stuff. I have the stains on the tie on Easter Sunday to prove that I ate the leftover communion and, and drank the, the leftover grape juice. But folks, the reality is, is there's certain things that you can't understand as a child. You're trying to figure out how big God is. And folks, Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. It says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with them who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. But you say to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. What is Christ saying? He lives forever. He loves like a father and Christ is holy. He's human, but he's dwelling on high this morning. And folks, while laying in, a hay, in the hay in the stable, he would ultimately come to be our savior. Jesus came to earth as a child and grew to be a man so that ultimately one day you and I might have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus is a child of the Son, but He's also eternally like a father to us. And I'm fortunate this morning that I have a, a great father here on this earth, and He set a great example for me. He taught me how to have a relationship with God, how to love God, and how to know God and how to hear God speak. And he, he taught me all these things. But folks, that Savior in the stable, if we focus just on that, we have to look past that and see He came to be our Heavenly Father. He came to be our eternal Father who cares about us with compassion. So whether or not you have a, a great role model here on earth as an earthly father or not, Jesus came as that child, as that king in a, in a manger, but He came to be our Heavenly Father to offer us that right relationship with God. And Psalm 103, verse 13 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. In other words, he wants us to understand that that God in a manger is also the God of the cross, who desires to know us. And maybe you're here a mother of small children and, Listen to how the Savior feels towards you in Isaiah chapter 40. He says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead those that are with young. I'm thankful this morning that as a father here on this earth, I have a heavenly father I can look to for direction, for wisdom. For, for discernment and making right decisions and, and seeking to lead my family in the way that he would, how he would have us to go as a family here on this earth. I wonder this morning, have you put your faith in the everlasting Father? 
Have you placed your faith? Will you allow him to sit next to you and, and comfort you in your time of need? But then he goes on and he says he also satisfies us within as a prince of peace. He's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And he's also, he satisfies us as the prince of peace. Jesus comes into our desperation with the promise of offering us peace within. Lots of talk around the, on the, in the news world of, of world peace and finding peace, peace in the Middle East. The only peace we can ever have is to make peace with God. He's the only one that can offer true peace. And the phrase Prince of Peace can be translated, the prince whose coming brings peace. A, pr a prince in Bible times was the, the captain or the general of the army, and he would describe his leadership and authority and, and lay out the plans for, for victory. But folks, the title reverberated across the centuries and echoed through the hallways of heaven, ultimately finally culminating in an expression of angelic adoration. In Luke chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus came to offer us peace. In the Old Testament, the word shalom was a, was a state of wholeness and harmony uh, that was intended to resonate in all relationships. And when used as a greeting, shalom would, was a wish for outward freedom from disturbances as well as an inward sense of well-being. So the people that were constantly in turmoil. The nation of Israel was always being attacked and always being uh, gone to war. As they were facing all of this turmoil, the word shalom was a state of wholeness and harmony that would resonate amongst all of your relationships. So when you would say shalom, it carried more than just have a good day. They wanted you to experience a wholeness on the inside. They wanted you to be at peace with God and with one another. And so it was, it was an outward sign for freedom from disturbance as well as an inward sense of well-being. To people who were constantly harassed by their enemies, peace was the premier blessing. So God gave Moses these words to use when blessing his people. He says in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his countenance uh, upon you and give you peace. What is he saying? He says, Ultimately, he's wanting us to understand he came as the Prince of Peace. So if you're here today on an elusive search for peace, you're looking for inner peace, Isaiah 26 says, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. What happens is, if you want to have perfect peace, you've got to have peace with God. You have to have a right relationship with God. And that's how that comes about. The New Testament describes at least three spheres of, of, of peace. There's peace with God. It's a vertical direction with God. The peace of God is an internal direction. And then peace with others, it happens horizontally. So as we begin to understand the peace of God and our peace with God, peace with others, it's all three of these that the Prince of Peace offers us in this life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul he himself is our peace. There is nothing like experiencing the peace of God. In times of, of, of 
distress and trial this week as our family gathered and my, uh, my great aunt uh, passed away uh, last Saturday night at the right young age of 97. In fact, if she lived to New Year's Day, January 1st, she would have been 98 years old. We sat in my grandparents' home church and all of her friends pretty much had already gone on before her. It was pretty much family and just a handful of others at her funeral because everybody else that was 97 has already gone. I mean, she outlived every one of her friends. And so we're, the family's all gathered and we're singing. And folks, it wasn't a time of sadness because we understand she's in the presence of our Savior. There were a couple people in the choir that had tears that were, were crying because she was a, a fixture in that church. I mean, she had been there for 60-plus years in that same church and, and was faithful. And to the very end, till she could no longer physically attend in person, she was there every single service. And so, but folks, as a family, we weren't weeping because she was gone because ultimately she's far better off than us. God gives us peace in the midst of all of that. So I wonder this morning, are you out of sorts with God? Are you searching for peace? I want to invite you this morning to receive the Prince of Peace into your life. And he will give you peace with God. If you're all shaken up inside, give all of your anxiety to the Lord. Because he is the only one who can bring about true peace. Incredibly, Jesus was named 700 years before he was born. It shows that he's indescribably unique. And folks, this morning he speaks to us. He stands for us. He sits near us. He satisfies us within with his peace. And the good news is we can experience all of that right now. But the even better news is we, he's just getting started. Folks, there's so much more to come because when he returns the second time and, and takes us home to heaven, folks, the, the, experiencing the peace of God on this earth doesn't even compare to being in the presence of God for all of eternity. When he comes again, he'll be wearing a crown. The Jews were first time looking for a crown, a king with a crown in all of his glory. But one day, he's going to return to rule and reign. And the time to place our faith and trust in him is today. Isaiah 9, 7 says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. He says, To establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore. Ends, he says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Imagine this morning, the zeal of the Lord and, and thinking of how much God loves us. He says, it makes me think of, of Handel's Messiah. He says, the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord. And he shall reign forever and ever. Churches, as we think about ultimately what Jesus came to accomplish, in our text this morning, we see that hope has a name. We see that God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus into the world to offer hope and peace through a personal relationship with Jesus. Folks, when Gabriel gave God's message to Mary, 
He called on the covenant with David. He says in Luke chapter 1, he says he'll be great. He'll be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. So if you look at then the gospel of Matthew, as he lists out the genealogy of Christ, he five different times he talks about the covenant with David, the book of, of the genealogy of Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. King David is listed five times in the genealogy of Christ. Jesus Christ is a direct descendant of David and therefore qualified to be the eternal king. The last phrase of Isaiah 9, 7 says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts uh, will do this. The zeal means intense desire. In fact, in Isaiah 59, it says, God greatly desires to see his plan of redemption accomplished. And so what he's looking to accomplish his plan of redemption for you and me this morning. He's always been zealous. He desires to save even you. Think about it for this morning. Jesus Christ, if I were the only person left on planet earth, he would have still come to die on the cross. He's zealous. He's desiring to, to transform my life. He's, his passionate zeal took everything to come to earth to save us. So the Lord of of the armies deployed three armies to activate the plan of God that very first Christmas. He mobilized the Roman government to call a census so that Jesus' family would, would ultimately travel to Bethlehem and he would be born to Bethlehem in Bethlehem to fulfill the, the Bible prophet. He caused the star in heaven to burn bright, ultimately to lead the, the shepherds who were tending their, their flock on the hillside to where the Christ child would be born. He unleashed his army of angels to announce the good news of the Savior to the shepherds as they led their sheep on the hillside. Folks, God is just as passionate and zealous to reach you where you are this morning. No matter what you're facing, he loves you beyond anything that you could ever fathom. He has arranged all the details of his intricate plan to deliver to you and deliver you from the bondage of sin and he's offering to speak to you, to stand with you, to sit with you, to give you peace with them. And folks, that's what Jesus is offering. It's, and, and folks, it's, it's awesome to understand Jesus came to earth to transform and to save our lives. David Platt was describing a time he was in a conversation with two other people who followed two very different religions. He spoke up and said, and said it's almost like you guys are... You know, he's uh, almost like you guys feel like that God is on top of the mountain. We're all on the bottom, and he says, we're all trying to make our own path up that mountain to God. And they said, exactly, you understand. And he said, Platt said, what if I told you the God at the top of the mountain, the one who's on top that we're all picturing how we're going to get to God, what if I told you that the God at the top of the mountain didn't wait for us to, wait, to find a way to, to get to him? He says, what if I told you that he came down to us, to where we are? Christ came down to earth. They responded, that would be great. To which he replied, that, this is the difference. What we find in the Bible is the story of God 
who's not left us alone to, to try to find our way to him, but he has come to us. And he has made the way to us through Jesus. What David Platt was saying is Christianity is different from every other religion of the world. Every other religion, people are trying to find their way to God. But in Christianity, God came to us. He's offering us a right relationship with God the Father today. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 9, chapter 9, verse 6, he says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And folks, the gift of Christ is a personal gift from God to you. The gift of Christ is a personal gift from, but folks, a gift requires a response. I can put this Bible as, as a present under the Christmas tree for you to receive, but folks, it doesn't mean anything unless you receive it. You have to accept the gift, and Jesus Christ is God's gift to mankind. Folks, unless we receive it, it's of zero value in our lives. You see, I can imagine on Christmas morning, as the family, as the kids come down the stairs, and they're sitting around the Christmas tree in their Christmas jammies, and they're, they're all excited about the Christmas season, and everyone sits around, and no one opens a single present. You say, Pastor David, that's a weird Christmas. I mean, what a weird time. I mean, no one, everybody's mom's over there with her camera ca capturing everything on pictures. So, I mean, if it didn't, if you didn't take a picture and post it on social media, it didn't happen. And so, you know, that's where we're at today. But, I mean, she's capturing every single thing that's happening and posting it on social media. But the reality is, imagine if none of the presents under the tree were open this Christmas. Imagine if we never received the free gift of salvation. Because it's only a gift if you and I accept it. And folks, you can be confident when you take Christ, you will get exactly what he promised. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Jesus is calling you this morning by name. Will you call out to the only name under heaven by which you can be saved and receive him? Lord and Savior. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning.